Hey everybody, I'm Aline Thompson, founder of Treasured Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Treasured Ministries podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about getting rid of the victim mentality by gaining a higher view of God. I want to invite you to get some motivation and inspiration through Rahab's story. You see, inside of Rahab's story, while there's many beautiful truths inside of her big belief in a God that she barely knew, but because of her belief in him, well, she hid two Israelite spies that were coming in to spy on God, and because of that, her destiny was changed forever. Rahab believed in a God that she barely knew, and she risked everything. And as I look inside of her story, it reminds me that my God is big, that my God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that I don't have to remain a victim, that there's no problem that I face, there's no situation, there's no person, there's no obstacle in my life that God cannot lead me through. And when I don't have that high perspective of God, and when I don't surrender to His leadership in my life, well, I'm going to surrender to somebody else or something. And that's when I can create the victim mentality in my life. Now, I've been very, very guilty of this. And recently in the past year, God has revealed this to me. And now that he's revealed it, I can spot it a lot quicker in my life. But, you know, it's so much easier when we're faced with a problem or when we're faced with limitations. You know, Rahab was faced with limitations. She lived inside of Jericho. She grew up as a prostitute. She grew up inside of a pagan culture. And it would have been very easy for her to remain that way. But because she declared God as supreme, she surrendered to him. And in her surrender... She found the life that she was created to live. And not only life for her, but because she chose to hide the spies, they asked her to hang that scarlet cord in her window so that when the Israelites went inside of Jericho, they could see that scarlet cord and they wouldn't destroy uh, Rahab's house. And Rahab took her family inside of that house. So not only did Rahab's declaration change her destiny, it had far-reaching effects into her family and, well, into us. Inside of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there is Rahab's name, and, and her story is so inspiring to me. And it speaks in many different ways. But the one big way that I see and that we're going to talk about today is that I do not have to be a victim. I don't have to be dependent on people or my circumstances. Rahab's story reminds me that God is bigger and that I can say with confidence, my God reigns over my circumstances. And so I will no longer allow my circumstances to reign over over me.
Now, that verse in um, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, Rahab's declaration was that God was supreme, and this decision changed her destiny. And it changed her destiny because how we perceive people determines how we relate to people. And the same is true of our relationship with God. If I don't see God as supreme in my life, if I don't see him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, well, then I'm not going to surrender to his leading. But Rahab's high perception of God, that's what gave her the courage to risk it all. And in doing that, she found the life that she was created to live. In losing her life, she found true life. And she had the courage to let go because she declared that God was supreme. Now, I use the New Living Translation. And so inside of my translation, it actually says, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. In other translations, it might just say, For the Lord your God is the God of the heavens above and the earth below. But either way, that word is Elohim. Elohim, it's it's a Hebrew word, that word for God there. And it means God's in the ordinary sense, but specifically used in the plural, thus especially with the article of the supreme God. Now, when you look up this word supreme in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, he means highest in authority. Who is the highest in authority in, in our lives, in other words? And then Webster gives this definition. For example, in the United States, the Congress is the supreme in regulating commerce and in making war and peace. Now, in Great Britain, Parliament is the supreme in legislation, but the king is supreme in the administration of Government And so in our, you, you want to think about supreme as sort of who is calling the shots in, inside of a certain organization. Well, then Webster goes on to say, in the universe, God only is the supreme ruler and judge. His commands are supreme and binding on all of his creatures. God is in control. And God is supreme. And whether or not we surrender to that depends on what our view of God is. And so I want to ask you today, what is your view of God? Do you have that same high view of God? Or has life thrown you a curveball? And maybe you feel overwhelmed by circumstances, or maybe you feel like Rahab and you're just trapped. Well, today I want you to get inspiration. Now, I will fall to that victim mentality too in a heartbeat, but I'm recognizing it sooner and sooner. And what I see more than anything is that getting rid of the victim mentality comes with gaining that high perspective of God. Now, Jeremiah says this so beautifully about the fact that God is supreme, and I want to read this scripture to you. 
In Jeremiah 18, uh, 6, it says this, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the potter is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hands. You see, God is the potter, and we are clay inside of his hands. And while that is true, in other words, God God is always supreme. God is always supreme. But God also gives me free will and free choice. God gave the people in Jericho free will and free choice. And we know that because Rahab turned to the Lord, that she walked out a different destiny than those that turned away from the Lord. And um, and so that's the big thing, that if we see God as supreme, that we will turn to him instead of turning um, away from him. And we'll cease to um, cease to stop trying to control our life or do life on our own terms, right? Like the, the people inside of Jericho had their own gods. They were doing things their own way, and they wanted it still to remain that way, whereas Rahab recognized that God was supreme and said, I don't know much, but here's what I do know, that God is supreme. And from that place, she surrendered and found the life that she was created to live. Now, the Bible tells us that the people inside of Jericho feared God. In fact, um, in Joshua, it says, we are afraid of God. So everybody was afraid of God. And there's a big difference between being afraid and having the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord brings awe and respect and worship in our life. Whereas fear of God, you know, drives us away and it makes us want to like hang on to our lives more. But when we have that high view of God, when we recognize that we are just the clay and that God is the potter, that's when we can relax inside of his hands and allow the potter to shape our life so that we can become the woman that God created us to be. And here's the real tricky thing. You see, what or whom we perceive as our God will shape the way we live. And let me give you a scripture for that. This was a really amazing scripture. This is in Psalm 115, um, and it's verse 8, and it says, And those who make idols are just like them, as all who trust in them. So you essentially become shaped by whatever it is that you're worshiping. That becomes your destiny. Who do you want shaping your life? That's the big question. And if we end up enmeshing ourselves with somebody or something else, then we become a slave to it. We become a victim to it. If our circumstances are a God, we're we're a victim to our circumstances. If what other people say about us, if that is where we gain our worth and value, then we will be a victim to what other people say. But when God is our God and the potter's words are shaping us, then we can become vessels that can be used for his glory. Now, as beautiful and as easy as that sounds, We know that it's very hard to do this. In fact, I think that 
um, the longer we walk with the Lord, the more resolved our declaration must be. Because as we're walking with the Lord, you know that you and I walk in a broken world. And, and there's lots of things that can come inside of our broken world that can create um, our, our view of God to become distorted. I mean, I can tell you that when I came to faith in Christ, that I was just on fire for the Lord and just believing God for big things and just praying and praying. And then and then when you walk through a season of sifting or suffering or, or whatever it may be, that sometimes that that can play with our faith a little bit. It can rattle our faith and, and shake our soul. And if that's happening to you now or if that's happened to you in the past, know this, the longer you walk with God, the more determined we need to be to remain steadfast that God is good and God is all-powerful and let go of trying to understand things and let go of trying to um, uh, just, we, we just need to understand that it's that personal choice, right? Rahab made that personal choice. And other people inside of Israel, the Jerichos, um, inside of Jericho, they made different choices. But those personal choices and of who God is, and again, I don't believe that it's a one and done thing. I believe that we will need to consistently and constantly remind ourselves of the greatness of God so that he can remain supreme in our life. I mean, when you look inside of the Gospels and you look at Peter and you see how Peter walked with Jesus and 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 he saw the you know the feeding of the 5000 and he saw the water turned to wine and and um and then inside of the gospel of Mark I love this thing I love this uh, scene. It's in Mark 8, starting with verse uh, 27. Um, and Jesus asked the disciples, he says, who do people say I am? And when Jesus is posing this question, his ministry is getting ready to take a shift. He's getting ready to walk to the cross. And so so sort of before this time, Jesus was this huge celebrity, right? And there were thousands of people following him and there were the miracles were flowing. And, and now his ministry is getting ready to take a shift. And the shift is going to involve suffering. Jesus is going to suffer and, and he's not going to, um, to be maybe perhaps what Peter thought he was going to be, right? Peter wanted that king now that was going to get rid of this Roman rule that was going on, right? But then Jesus announces that he is getting ready to suffer and that he will be crucified, and before he, po- he, before he starts talking about this, he poses the most important question. He wants to know, who do people say that I am? And so then they answer and they say, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the prophets. And then he asked, and then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? It's that personal belief. What are we going to believe about God? What is my perception about God? And then Peter replies, you are the Messiah. And so Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And right after that, 
I mean, it's not like it's a few months after that. It is in the next set of verses. Um, Jesus begins to tell them that he's going to be suffering many terrible things. Verse 31. Um, and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but in three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Get away from me, Satan, Jesus says. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's point of view. And so Peter, Peter, who um, just moments before had declared that Jesus was the Messiah, all of a sudden hears about the suffering that's going to take place. And all of a sudden he says, no way. And in that moment, Jesus comes to him and he says, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And did you catch that? That Jesus says, "Get away from me, Satan!" and and I and in my um, uh, what I think, I think that the enemy loves to come in when we see suffering, when we're walking through it ourselves, or we see those we love walking through suffering, and he says to us, "Well, is this not really God? That's all powerful. How could God really love you if this is happening?" and and the enemy will just capitalize on the suffering that we see. And he'll try to convince us that, well, maybe God isn't the potter. Maybe he isn't really in control. And maybe he isn't all wise. And maybe I can't trust his plans. Don't fall for the enemy's trap. It is one of his oldest tricks in the book to take what happened to us and try to make us think that God is not good. If we don't believe that God is good, it will be so hard to trust him. God is not only supreme, but God is love. But the truth is, is that disappointments do come in our life and they distort our view of God. And it's in those times that we need to dig our heels in by faith and declare no matter what everybody else is believing about him, but be like Rahab and declare that God is who he says he is. Well, what are some of the other things that can distort our image of God? Well, we've talked about disappointments. We've talked about how the enemy um, will come in and distract us. Another uh, reason why our... Um, our image of God can get distorted is from our, well, our family templates. I mean, the Bible tells us that really family is the place that we're supposed to sort of find a framework of how we relate to God. As, our, as a father, as a mother relates to us, it's sort of to mirror God's relationship to us. And while there's no perfect family, um, some of us walk through more traumatic childhood than others. And perhaps we had a very demanding father. And if we did, then that's probably how we're viewing God. Maybe we had a mother that was emotionally absent and so we view God as somebody that's not really nurturing. 
And so we need to just be aware of those things. Forgive our parents because they were not supposed to be perfect and they couldn't be. But then don't remain um, a victim to that. Don't blame your parents anymore because now you have a heavenly father, right? And when his view is supreme of you, and when he is supreme in our life, and when he is our number one father and mother, that's when things can change. And all the anger and all the unforgiveness will never change our past experience with our parents. The way that you and I move forward to leave blessings in our wake is to see that God is the perfect, awesome, heavenly father and that where we were lacking in his life, that he is more than able to make up and that by forgiving, we can let go of the past and move forward. Rahab had to let go of the culture that she was brought up into to move forward. And she had to decide that God was supreme. Also, our desires, like who we want God to be. And when it doesn't line up with what we thought, then that can create distance between um, the Lord as our view is distorted. I mean, Peter wanted Jesus to be that earthly king that would get rid of that Roman Empire. And do you blame them? Because they were taxing them. They didn't treat them fairly. But God had a better and a more beautiful plan. He was going to set up the heavenly kingdom. And so sometimes when we don't get exactly what we want, it can break our hearts. But we need to remember if God is good and if he is supreme, that he has something greater that he wants to bring us. So all these things can distort our image of God. And I I sort of liken it to, like if if I have just um, painted a watercolor painting and, and things have happened in my life that have caused disappointment and I have these tears rolling down my face and then they land on this um, this this watercolor it can distort that image and so and so now we have this distorted image of God and when we have that distorted image of God when we don't believe that he is supreme well we won't be that clay in his hands we'll fight against God instead of surrendering to God or we may decide to take control of the situation ourselves and when we do that When we step into control, that's when we become victim and that's when we start to blame everybody and everything. And there's a big difference between responsibility and fault. For example, going back to that family relationship, if you walked through a traumatic family experience growing up, it was not your fault. But today, You don't have to live bound by that. Step by step, you can learn to walk a new way as you lean on and listen to the Lord. And you may be saying to yourself, you know, it's hard, Eileen. I mean, we're inside of this broken world. How can we gain that high view of God? Well, gaining a high view of God happens as we pull into His presence And as we pull into his presence, we don't look at things anymore from a human point of view. We get God's perspective. And this allows me to walk in victory. 
You see, if my view of God is not high, I may hang on to my life instead of losing it and miss out on this amazing life that God wants to give me. Rahab had to let go to find true life. And Jesus says this, moving on in that Mark chapter 8 passage, in verse 34, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. What are some of the ways that we've learned to survive in a broken world? People-pleasing or manipulating or whatever it may be. We have to let go of that, and we have to surrender and follow Jesus Then he goes on to say in verse 35, If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And so if my view of God is not high, I might not surrender. Rahab's view of God was high, and so she did surrender, but we know that that was not the choice that everybody made. Well, inside of this passage, moving on in Mark, as it goes on into the ninth chapter, Jesus has just told them that he's going to walk through suffering, and then he starts to talk about things like losing your life, right? And, um, you know, this is not, we're not at the wedding of Canaan anymore, and turning the water into wine, that kind of thing, and And so, you know, things are getting serious. And then Jesus does something very special. In Mark chapter 9, it tells us that he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And that beautiful scene of transfiguration where where he, he comes to them and just reveals his glory and his splendor. And the Bible tells us that Peter just says, hey, can we just build shelters and, and stay up there? But but they, they have to go back down. Um, but, but this glimpse of glory that Jesus gave Peter that day stayed with him. And that's what pulling into God's presence does. It gives us that mountaintop view when we go up the mountain into his presence What begins to happen is that my problems become smaller because my God becomes bigger. Now, when I say becomes bigger, it's my perspective that change. God is always the potter. He is always the supreme. But if I'm looking at this big, looming problem, I might feel like a victim to my problem. But when I pull in his presence, when I remember who he is, then I remember that my God is bigger than that problem that I face. And so Peter, and I I think that's, there's so many beautiful things in that transfiguration passage. But one of the things I think that that the Lord did in that passage was he, he gave the disciples a glimpse of his glory. And that's what happens when you and I um, pull away into into God's presence. And, And, you know, Peter never forgot about that. He never forgot about that. In 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 16, um, it says this. 
For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our eyes when we received honor and glory from the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, Because of that experience, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. And then and then he he goes on and on and and so and so Peter never forgot that. And it was from that that he gained confidence in the gospel message. And it's inside of our mountaintop time, our pulling away and being in the presence of the Lord that we too can gain that confidence that God is who he says he is. Peter, if you look in 2 Peter over and over and over again, and Peter is talking to Christians that are walking through persecution, but time and time again, he is encouraging them to live by looking up, not at their circumstances, not at what's going on, but to live with a heavenly perspective, to live by looking up. And today, um, now that we're on the other side of the cross, that we can all go boldly before the throne. We can all go boldly before the throne because that um, that veil has been lifted. In 2 Corinthians um, 3.16, it says, But wherever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And so the veil has been torn. And so now you and I can come unveiled before the Lord. And is that scripture amazing? That as we marinate in God's presence, that we become more and more like Jesus as the potter just shapes our soul. And that is beyond me. That is beyond me. But as we believe have that high view of God, we can pull into his presence. We can experience that intimacy with the Lord. We can know that suffering, you know, sometimes when we walk through suffering, that we can throw up barriers in our relationship with God, but that we can tear down those walls and come to him again and say, I believe that you're good. I may not understand everything, but I believe that you are good. And as we listen to him and are led by him, more and more and more, we will become the woman that God created us to be. And we will be under the potter's hands, not the influence of somebody else, not a victim to what other people say or my circumstances or what's going on, we will walk in victory because the potter's hands are shaping our soul. So I want to close today with a three-step action plan of practically how you can put this into practice. 
And what I want to challenge you to do is to just choose one thing that you're going to begin to apply to your life. Number one, I want you to renew your mind on the attributes of who God is every day. Like I said, I think that the longer you walk with God, the stronger your declaration of God needs to be. Because as you come into that relationship and you face obstacles, the enemy is going to try to convince you that God is not good, that God is not all-powerful. And when that happens, you might take things into your own hands. But if you make it a part of your daily routine to renew your mind on the attributes of God, that is a game changer. Beware the enemy's tactics. And when you're looking at who God is, always go to the word of God and not the world. Not what you see in the world or your circumstances or what other people say, but look inside of the word. Now, one of the ways, I'll tell you the way that I do this. Number one, I do the Nourish Bible Study Method every week. And if you go to nourishbiblestudymethod.com, you can sign up for our 21-day challenge and learn about the Nourish Bible Study Method. One of the steps of Nourish is that we ask you to look inside of the passage and to list all the attributes of God that you can see. And so every time you walk through a passage, you are looking for those attributes of God. Also, in that same lesson inside of the 21-day challenge, and the name of that lesson is Understanding Who God Is Changes Everything, there are uh, these worksheets that we made called God Is. And what I do with those worksheets is I list out the attributes of God every week that I find inside of the Nourish Bible Study Method. And so then I create this awesome list. And they're lists, not lists that people have told me or what the world says, but it's straight from the Word. And so on my God is sheets now, I have God is my shepherd. God is my fountain of living water. God is my hope. God is my confidence. God is my everlasting help in times of trouble. God is my peace. And on and on it goes. And I take those attributes and I use them as a way to worship God when I go to Him in prayer. Okay, so that's number one. Um, And you can find all these materials if you go inside of, go to nourishbiblestudymethod.com and go to the 21-day challenge. Number two, start a journal to gain self-awareness. Start a journal to gain self-awareness. And specifically, I want you to really think about your actions because your actions will tell you what you actually believe about God. For example, if you have a small prayer life, well, what is that telling you about who you believe that God really is, not what you know about God from going to Bible study or church. But if we really perceive God as almighty, if we really perceive God as the one that tells us to come to him in prayer and to pray boldly, well, then our prayers should be big and bold. Now, this is something that God revealed in my own life, that he asked me to look at my prayers and say, what is that telling you about what you truly believe about me or about prayer? 
And so when we journal like that, when we really take a self-reflective look at our actions, it's going to tell us what we actually believe. Another good thing to journal about is anytime your emotions run high, when you get angry um, or when you start blaming people for things, think about what you're doing. Process it down on paper because that will show you what am I actually believing in this situation about God, right? The next thing is, or the final thing, so we have um, complete, or we have uh, renew your mind on the attributes of God every day. And if you want a way to do that, I want to invite you to go to nourishbiblestudymethod.com and sign up for the 21-day challenge. It's completely free. And you'll learn about how to do that as it is a step inside of our study method. The next thing is to keep a journal to gain self-awareness because our actions tell us what we actually believe about God. Not what we know, but what we believe. And the last thing, and this is probably the most important one, is to start your day on the mountaintop. Start your day from a spiritual perspective. Start your day with God's view in mind by pulling away into his presence. You see, our view of God is vital to becoming the woman that God created us to be. And getting rid of the victim mentality happens by gaining a higher view of God. And while there are lots of things inside of this world that can distort our view of God and can create that victim mentality, we can gain that high view of God by coming up to the mountaintop of His presence every day. And in that beautiful place, you and I will have all the strength that we need to walk through whatever valley comes our way. Thanks so much for joining in today to the podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed it. And I want to invite you again to go to nourishbiblestudymethod.com and join us for the 21-day challenge. You'll also find other resources there that can help to lead you into a personal, vibrant walk with the Lord through the study of His Word. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye-bye.